that's what drives my passion is to not be the one that is responsible for the team's failure. Like, just do your job, just block your guy. Hi, my name is Jason Rasnick, the CEO of Benzinga, and welcome to the Raz Report. As always, before we kick things off, I want to quickly tell you about what Benzinga is. Before I started Benzinga in 2010, there were very few places to get real-time information on financial markets. I thought it was unfair that Wall Street had access to this information before the average Joe investor. So I created Benzinga to level the playing field for you, the retail investor. Benzinga is for the people and by the people. Now, let's dive into the show. I'm truly pumped this week to have on the Raz Report, I'll say badass. I mean, a retired Navy SEAL turned astronaut. Chris Cassidy, we have Aaron Bree co-hosting. Aaron and me were just like, there's, there's, I mean, you're in the 0.0001%. How many astronauts have been Navy SEALs? That's actually my first question. Oh, there's, that's a good, great question. By the way, good to be with you guys. Thanks for sharing some time. And uh, there's been three of us. Bill Shepard was the first one. I was the second one. And uh, Johnny Kim is the third. He's active astronaut right now, and he'll fly in space for his first time uh, late this year or next, early next year. Wow. Wow. So that's, I mean, that's crazy company. So when you were younger, so like in high school, middle school, did you know you wanted to be an astronaut? And then did you also know you wanted to be a Navy SEAL? No to both of those. You know, I was just um, looking for a way to pay for college. And that's what kind of turned me on to the military through, you know, uh, and, and then I got excited about the Naval Academy. And that's where I went. And while I was there, I learned about SEALs. And uh, it, while I was in the SEAL teams, I, I learned it was possible to apply to be an astronaut. And, and all those things just kind of happened through the course of uh, mentors and awareness uh, and that sort of thing. But as a kid, no, I wanted to be Larry Bird. <laughs> well, it's and funny. I, I wanted to be Isaiah Thomas. Go ahead. I was going to say it's just funny because, you, you know, a lot of kids do say they either want to be a professional athlete or an astronaut is also one of the things you hear the most kids say. So you actually, you know, wanted to be an athlete like a lot of other kids and then ended up being an astronaut. Um, so you joined the or you did your SEAL training after the after the Naval Academy. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. So I went to college at the Naval Academy. While you're there, you you um, you do what's called service selection where you figure out what you're going to do in the military once you graduate, fly airplanes, submarines, surface ships, SEAL teams, EOD, Marine Corps. There's a bunch of different things. And that's what led me to the SEAL teams. Got it. Well, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the SEAL training. So I guess you went in then when you were probably like 22 or 23. Uh, is there, I mean, we hear all about how Navy SEALs train and how hard it is to get through that program. Would you say it's, it's harder mentally or physically? Uh, it, it's, it's a mental game really when you come down to it, they don't expect you to do on day one, what they expect you physically to do on graduation day. So, so your body gets ramped up and you get stronger and stronger and, and, and used to the swimming and used to the obstacle course and used to running in sand and your body, our bodies physically are just very adaptable things, especially when you're in your young twenties, you know, you can, you're a rubber band. Um, but it's the mental grind of day in, day out for six plus months. You're you're starting at the crack of dawn and go until after dinner, and uh, and and it's just a long grind. You 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 can't get mired in. Oh my God, we've only done four weeks and we've got you know five more months to go. You'll never make it. Did they teach you anything in terms of like 
hey, you know, you're going to feel like quitting and stopping. This is what you're going to do. Or is that kind of just on you to figure out, hey, how am I going to personally persevere through this adversity and, and run through the finish line? It's largely on the individual person. Now, the, the, those kind of discussions happen amongst the class and the pe- your peers. You help each other out. And, 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 and everybody's human. doesn't matter if you've got the medal to be a SEAL or not. Every, everybody has strong weeks and bad weeks. And, uh, and, and it's together. It's with your teammates, it's your, with your classmates, that you get through your own lull with the pull of and the support of the guys around. I say, hey, guys, it's all guys in my class. Um, and, and then other times you give that support to someone else. I remember for me specifically Wednesday night of hell week, hell week starts on Sunday and ends on Friday. So it's big blur of stuff for a week. And Wednesday night I was feeling kind of dumped down in the dumps a little bit, not in a quitting way, but just sort of feeling sorry for myself. And a, a buddy of mine who was right next to me, he just put his hand on my elbow because he saw a distant stare and he said, Hey, you good? And that's all it took. You're like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm right back with you, man. Yeah, let's get through this together. So, Yeah. Um, one of those things, like to be a Navy SEAL, obviously a lot of determination, uh, mental fortitude. Like what did your parents, when you grew up, I'm a parent. I have three kids. Look, I'm looking for parental advice. Like did your parents help? Uh, did your parents help instill this um, discipline? By the way, we're with Chris Cassidy, uh, retired Navy SEAL, astronaut, and like, this is just such an honor. I mean, there's, I think, 676 people that have been astronauts, and it's crazy. So, yeah, any advice from, like, from a parental perspective that you could share, Chris? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I'm a parent of, of uh, uh, three biological kids and two two additional kids now, and um, I, uh, uh, I don't have magic words, but th- when my parents were – guiding me. I don't think they did anything special. They always encouraged me to, to, uh, stick through things. But it, I remember one job I had, the first job, maybe the second job I had was picking corn at this uh, farm down the road from our house. And you had to be there five in the morning and all the kids were older than me and they, I got picked on and they put bike, they put grease on my bike seat and, uh, you know, just all kinds of goofy things. And I didn't want to, do it anymore. But my mom and dad said, just stick it out to the end of the summer. And and I'm glad I did. I don't think that particular thing was a formative moment in my life, but it, it, it made me realize, you know, I can, I can get through these little hard, hard times. And, and those guys are the goofballs for picking on the 13 year old. Yeah. Not me. Yep. Yeah. No, exactly. And that, and was it, was there like rules though in your house where you couldn't watch TV? You had to read a book a week or anything like that? <laughs> no, we were just normal. My, I have one brother, he's three years younger than me and we love like sports a lot. We, so we just always had a ball in our hand of, of some kind of football, a tennis ball, a Nerf basketball. My, my, my poor mom had to deal with uh, Nerf hoops on pretty much every door. Yep. Uh, in, in the house, dribbling in the house. So we, yeah, dri- dri- all kinds of stuff like like that. So you know, and th- those days were different. There, there wasn't the internet. There wasn't gaming. It, 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 and uh, so we were just always playing some kind of game. Or, or, or if there, if it was too cold, we'd make up our own rules of some goofy game with a Nerf ball in the house. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're, your Navy SEAL training, was that done in San Diego, like Coronado? 
Yeah, yeah. Coronado Island, yeah. The, the Naval Amphibious Base there is where SEAL training is. Okay, that's that's very cool. I've, I've been there a few times. Not to the training, but to the Del Coronado right over there. Um, well, you, you're living a little posher than, than we are down the, just a half a mile down the beach. Yeah, I mean, have you ever thought about starting your own mini Navy SEAL thing, like um, training people? Not to be Navy SEALs, but like fitness training. Like, how cool would it be, Aaron, to go like – you know, I'm. I just got big into health this week. Literally, <laughs> so, 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 uh, Wednesday of last week. I I haven't worked out since my daughter's. I mean, so two years ago. Wednesday of last week, I'm mean, like I'm insane. But how cool would it be to go train in a place like that the Navy SEAL owned and like had instructors that the Navy SEAL trained? Like, I would how, do that. That would be cool. Yeah. Like, have you ever thought of starting like yeah, a there, there's a few, there's there's a few former and retired SEALs that that do similar things and they're great programs. You you can get fit and and enjoy the camaraderie that exists. Cause I think when you go through tough times, a, a challenging event with somebody, that's why tough mutters and those kind of things are, are popular because it, it bonds the group of people that does it together. And, and you, you conquer a, 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 that thing for the Saturday that you do it. And, and Got it. same thing with a mini pretend seal training. Oh, so that's why the team environment is what you keep going at. Okay. That's interesting. I didn't think about that. I was thinking so individualized, but you don't want to let your teammate down or whatever. You're like you're on the same team kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I mess that a lot. And for me, it's that's what drives my passion is to not be the one that is responsible for the team's failure. Like, just do your job. Just block your guy. Just, you know, make your free throws. That kind of thing. That, do your job. That applies to companies like that should apply to companies more um, in, in some respect. Like, Absolutely absolutely does you know have you written do your work in your lane help others of course you can't just be so do your job that you don't care about any other things but that what that's what makes exceptional employees where you do your job well but you also see where assistance is needed somewhere else and lend a hand as you have the available time and bandwidth to do it have you written any books Mm -mm, no can't like Navy SEAL turned astronaut. I mean, there's only three going to be three of you, I guess. Um, but weren't you in a, a subject of like a, a show or a movie or something? Like there was something, right? Yeah. On my my, so I've done three space flights. In the last one in 2020, um, the Disney Channel, the Disney Network followed our crew around for the two years pre-flight, and then we launched in COVID, and we're three of us were in space for the whole first seven months of, of COVID and, and the Disney program was made and it was called among the stars, six episodes on Disney plus network. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool. So how was it seeing yourself on TV? Kind of weird. And, and it's quite a process too. I don't know if you've ever been involved in filming, but the number of hours that they film ratio wise to what actually makes the show is ridiculous. So you think about filming for two years and then making six hours of, program it you know there's so much filming involved that's what that's what blew me away yeah it's crazy and they don't they take a little clips for uh i know it is crazy and they have all that uh stuff now aaron do you want to go to the space questions because i have so many questions about being in space but I do. Um, well, one thing. Oh, I so you, you, uh, Chris, you mentioned that your your last flight was during COVID. I guess if you were worried about COVID, that's probably the safest place you can be is up in space, not around a, a lot of people. It was great. It was good living. It was just me and two Russian guys that were not on the planet during the, from uh, we launched right at the end of March, beginning of April, of twenty twenty, and then didn't come home until the end of October. 
so yeah, we were looking down at, uh, at all that you guys were going through. Of course, we're talking to our friends and family and watching the news. So fully aware of what was going on, uh, but we didn't have to live it ourselves until we got back in the late fall. Yeah, you don't have to quarantine, but it's almost like a quarantine in its own sense in the in the in the fact that you're like up yeah. there, you know, with those same people the whole time. Do you uh, get bored up there? If you get bored while you're in space, it's bad on you, man, because there's you, you there's plenty of jobs to do in a technical sense. But then it just never gets old to look out the window and take pictures and float and just try goofy things with spinning tops and water blobs and um, yeah, see how water blobs behave. That, that, that's sweet. You know what he's talking about, like the, how the water flows. Yeah. But uh, I was just going to say, when you're doing that stuff, like messing around with, you know, coffee in a mug or something, like how much of it are you like, this is why this has happened in this gravitational effect, you know, yada, yada, versus just being like, oh, wow, this is really cool to, to have fun with this stuff. Well, all astronauts are different. We've got some that are really, really outstanding scientists and, and, and fun uh, and make it fun. Uh, Don Pettit is one that comes to mind. He's fantastic at showing things and then explaining why. For me, I, I, I'm just a knuckle-dragging seal, so I, I just squirt blobs of coffee and then squirt fruit punch into it and see how they interact. Yeah, that's how I would be, just having fun with this stuff, and then there would probably be another astronaut that's trying to explain to me why this is happening, and I'm just like, no, no, this is fun. Oh, but so, here, the question I've always wanted to ask your astronaut, and it's probably the dumbest question he's going to get, but I'm going to ask it. Um, you guys get in the spaceship, okay? You take off. And then you go to a space station, right? Like when you when you were up in space, you go to like a, a space station that's already there, right? Right? Like Yeah. Oh yeah. The International Space Station is going around the world every night, hour and a half, there's six people on it. How the heck do you connect to it? Like how like like how I understand there's radars, but like I find it like um Aaron was trying to parallel park uh, at my house and he like hit hit he, he has a um tire rash or hits the rim and he can't even do that. Yeah. You guys Go and connect with the space station going around the Earth. I don't want to say the speed it's going around because I'll get that wrong. How do, how does that happen? I think it's the most amazing thing in the history of the world. Well, it's pretty it's pretty it's it blows me away too because both the things are going seventeen thousand five hundred miles an hour. Except the 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 rendezvousing spaceship is going a little faster uh, and stepping up in altitude bit by bit to then get to the same place. In simplistic terms, think about it like a, a quarterback throwing a football to a wide receiver. So the receiver is running a deep route, and the quarterback, he can throw a ball that lobs high, and then that gives the receiver some uh, adjustment with his speed and direction. Or he, the quarterback can throw a line drive dart where it has to be a perfect pass, and the receiver needs to stay on the same speed and the same line, otherwise it's going to be miscalculated throw and it's the same thing when we launch if you this the shorter time to launch i mean the shorter time to rendezvous so so in the shuttle we used to rendezvous to the station after two and a half days that extra time allowed us to have lots of wiggle room in the launch period and, and could make up for for differences in speed that weren't uh predicted uh and then we've since shortened rendezvous down the in, in in the case of Soyuz to six hours, which is like the line drive throw. And so it's an instantaneous launch window. You got to be very precise with the both vehicle speeds. And, and then it's just a matter of those two 
intersecting lines coming t together. That, now I'm oversimplifying it because there's maneuvers that we have to do. And, and like you said, radar systems that give you exact precise information. But at the end of the day, it's a football pass. You got it. So it's a football pass. And my question to you is, did you ever see the movie The Martian? Oh, yeah. Loved it. Okay. So was that kind of accurate when they were trying to, you know, um, meet what's his name uh, at the end of the movie? And then she had to go out of the space station, get on that thing and go get him. And then, you know, like it was not going to meet like the football pass analogy. So that's a bit of a stretch, like especially if I, if I remember right, um, he didn't have quite enough thrust in the in yep. the gas tanks and he poked, poked a hole in the spacesuit to shoot him the last little bit. Yep. You know, imagine taking a balloon and blowing it up and then letting it go and trying to make it go precise and straight. You know, it's not going to happen. But, uh, you know, 99 percent of that movie was very technically accurate. That part wow. was a little bit uh, far fetched. But but. So, but let's say that they, I guess my question on that is, okay, on that part, the, you know, the balloon example thing, you get, you're amazing at analogies, by the way, this is the football thing is unbelievable. So my question is like, say you're going to meet the international space station and you're off by a little bit. Does it take then like date? Like, is it ever happened that you're off by a little bit and you have to like do it again, like a day later, or is it never like that? Uh, it's not exactly like that. If you're off by it, so there's, think of it like a, um, a an error band. So you, you've got a couple degrees uh, left and right where you, if you're beyond that, you're hopeless and never going to reach that and you have to abort the whole entire mission and come back to Earth. So there's some band that you have to stay tight in to keep it possible. Once you go outside of there, you're, you're screwed. Okay. Yeah. And then my last question before Aaron goes in on this topic is, do you get scared, Chris? Like, I know you're a Navy SEAL, so like I said, I started the interview with Badass. Um, <laughs> do you get scared when you sit in that spaceship, when you sit in the space shuttle seat and it takes off with all those engines going and all that? Do you get, ever get scared or nervous? Oh, I, I think if there's not a hint of, appreh not apprehension, just a hint of nerves going on in your brain on launch day, you don't fully appreciate the physics the, the explosion that's going to happen momentarily underneath you. Uh, but, you know, there, we all take comfort in, in training and knowing that the, the engineers don't want to, nobody wants to hurt anybody. So we take the risk, uh, balance very seriously. Now, at the end of the day, you, you manage all the risks you can and bad stuff can still happen. So that's where it's like some part of it's out of, out of your control. Um, and then on my first spacewalk, when I opened the hatch and looked out and saw Earth down below me, and now you're crawling around the outside of the space station, uh, that got my attention too. I was like, whoa, this is that training doesn't prepare you for this view. So, so the view, but then you settle in quickly and get on with it. So yeah. the view is amazing, but was that scary? The spacewalk, looking down and seeing Earth below you. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It it it, it definitely my heart rate went up. And I just kind of was gripping the handrail super hard, not realizing how hard I was gripping it. And, and, um, and it, this, there's a lot of technical things to this, but the spacesuit need, you need to have nice, consistent metabolic rate inside the spacesuit. Otherwise you start using up the CO2 removal and using oxygen unnecessarily. So the more calm and just steady state you are inside, the better off. Uh, and so the ground can definitely tell when you're, quote, freaking out. 
because uh, your heart rate goes crazy. The system is starting to re respond to your higher respiratory rate and all these things. So they just tell you, settle down, settle down, settle down. And so you, you never want them to be telling you settle down. You, you always want to keep your own manhood to yourself, right? Yeah, well, totally. I'm, sure, I'm sure, too, a lot of people in that scenario would then become aware that they're anxious or starting, and that could that can kind of make it worse. Did it help having, like, the Navy SEAL background? I mean, I'm sure they have, like, breathing techniques and stuff like that that might help when you are feeling, you know, have that heightened sense of awareness that, oh, my God, I am anxious, and my, my heart rate's up, and then you're anxious about the heart rate being up, and now it's even worse. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily, I mean, Navy SEAL training definitely helped, but training in general, I think, is comforting because when you do something for the first time, think of a, a kindergarten, a very basic level, a kindergartner walking into the school for the very first day. They're super freaked oh, out. Yeah, but so you come, scary. The, the, parent, the parent comes back at lunchtime and the kids like is have best friends in the world and they're totally dialed in. Uh, and, and so, and that's with when you experience things a few times, then it becomes less intimidating, less scary, and less um, frightful just by the taking away the unknowns. And and so so training and preparation, specific, specifically for spacewalks, we do it in a large pool in Houston, and you just revert back to training. And that's what we tell first-time spacewalkers. Just pretend you're in the pool and everything will be just fine. Mm. And it works. The, the kid at kindergarten, that was another great analogy. He well, the really guy, is, I mean, he, I, has I, anyone I, ever told you that before, that you have great analogies? <laughs> I don't know. No, but I'm glad they help because I'm a simple guy, and, and I like to think of it in terms that we all can well, relate to. Chris, to Aaron's point, I'm not joking. You're going to think I'm just, like, kissing butt, but I'm not. But Warren Buffett is the number one person at analogy. That's why he's so people can understand him because he just makes things so simple. His analogies, I always talk about how amazing his analogies are. Your your analogies remind me of like how Warren Buffett makes things so easy. I've never heard that football example. And that explains it so much. Mine don't make me any money though. That's yeah, you're right. That's a good point. Um, <laughs> I'm so trying to start the gym with you, man. Okay. Yeah. Like Navy yeah. SEAL, the Chris Cassidy Navy SEAL gym. So, Chris, I want to back up a little bit, I guess, from the transition to Navy SEAL to, to an astronaut. Um, when you were in the in the Navy SEALs, did you were you thinking about what you wanted to do after service? Uh, did you get recruited? I mean, how did this come about? So, when you go to the service academy, in my case, the Naval Academy, your your obligated uh, commitment is five years after graduation where you, you pay back your education with service. And I thought I'd just do five years and get out. And, but I really enjoyed those five years in the SEAL teams. And, and, I, I, and then I got accepted to graduate school and, and, and the Navy was paying. So I just kind of stayed. And it was right then when um, I met Bill Shepard, who was the first SEAL to become an astronaut when I was going to graduate school. And I realized like he, also went to graduate school for an engineering grad degree. He went to Naval Academy too. He applied to be an astronaut and he got selected. Why not me? Why don't I try? And, and, and I learned that he, he told me how you do it and who you call and where do you get the forms and that kind of just X's and O's of applying. And um, so you, you're not recruited. NASA does not need to recruit anybody. They've got plenty of people that want to be an astronaut and, and send in applications. We, we hire astronauts about every four years, and it's a long process with paperwork at the beginning. And then you get a, an interview if you make it to that level. 
and where an interview is a week long and you come to Houston and it's mostly medical, but there's actual sit down interview and there's aptitude things, nuts and bolts and computer testing that you have to go through and simulated stressful situations and that kind of thing. And, and then we, we pick 10 to 15 people every four years. That's insane. That's harder to be an astronaut than going to the Olympics every four years. And Aaron, you want to play in the Olympics well, for golf in four years. I don't think you have I much know. of a shot. I, I mean, know. It's, so if I all right, so then if I if I don't make the Olympics and I've got another four years to try for the to, astronaut yeah. and, and and you have less of a shot at that, <laughs> I mean right? I mean Chris, like yeah. you, I mean yes, you were maybe like Navy SEAL uh, school maybe qualified, but was it kind of like a little bit of luck there too, like a lottery system almost? Oh yeah, extreme luck uh, and just timing and 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 just to, to get to put it in perspective. Uh, I mentioned an interview is a week long. The, the the medical clinic there in Houston can only handle about 20 people per week. So in order to interview 100, 120 people, they got to spread that over five or six weeks. And in my case, it was my, my year, it was six weeks of interviews. And I went for mine and I remember thinking the other 19 people would be amazing selectees. And that's just one week of five other ones. And so I thought, well, this is a cool experience, but I, I don't have a prayer to get picked. And, uh, and, and then I did. And, and, and I have no idea why they picked me. Even to this day, I don't know why me over somebody else that I was competing against. And then, and then, and then subsequently later in my career, uh, I served as the chief astronaut for a couple of years. Uh, and in that role, I was the co-chair of the selection board in 20, 2017, I think. Um, and, uh, and it's so hard because you get down to that, that short list of 40 or 50 people and how do you get to 10? It's just really hard. And, and it, it doesn't mean that the other 30 weren't, wouldn't have been good astronauts. You, you just got to make the decision. Okay. It's tough. Was one of your favorite movies also the Tom, oh, the Tom Hanks one, um, Gravity? Apollo 13. Apollo 13. Oh yeah, that's one of my real favorites. Yeah. How realistic was that? Oh, I think very realistic. And Jim Lovell is a fellow Naval Academy graduate and, and icon uh, of of our university. And um, I just love how his calm, level-headed leadership got them through that situation. Tough, tough mission. Um, yeah, I love that. I movie. love that movie. I love that movie. I. I thought that movie was. Now I know th these two movies probably you're going to say are not as realistic. Armageddon. Yeah, that's a little goofier, but you know what? What show that's recent that I really like is For All Mankind. That's that. uh, I don't know if you've seen that one. It's a interest. It's on uh, Apple TV, I think. It's a bunch, several seasons, and it's this twist where it's basically the real history of our space program. Uh, and this doesn't really spoil it for you because it comes right out in the first episode. It's, but the Russians landed on the moon first. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Chris, it, I know we're kind of running up on time. Do you have a few extra minutes? Because I've, I've got a few more questions about space. Yeah. All right. Because I, I have some, I guess, sillier questions about space that, I mean, I got to ask you because I don't know when or if I'm ever going to get to speak to another astronaut before or again. Um, is it hard to go to the bathroom in space? Nope. The need to go is the same. The, you just know you got to go. Number one, number two, it's the same. And, um, number one is easy. You just, we, 
we pee into a tube and actually we reuse about 95% of that fluid and oh, turn wow. it back into water. And the, the yucky stuff gets taken out in the filter and then you're left with yesterday's coffee is today's water. Uh, and, and you can't tell. Uh, but number two, it goes into a can and we just throw it away. So Got it. throw it away in the space, like the international space station or each canister holds about a, depending on how many people are up there using the toilet, uh, holds about a week worth of stuff. And then it's filled and it's way nicer experience to be in day one and two of that can. than then as it's getting filled towards the end, when the, and then we take that whole canister, seal it up, and put it in a trash and then the trash gets disposed of in a cargo ship that burns up in the atmosphere. So next time you see a shooting star, think about what you're wishing on. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, another one. So when I was doing uh, research for this, I saw a picture of you in space with a bald head. And I mean, you, you still got hair. You, you're a handsome guy. Why did you shave your head when you went to space? Oh, that's interesting. So run, coming up to the space station that day, was my Italian crewmate, Luca Parmitano. And he, he has a bald head and he had, at the time he's got, had this like Fu Manchu thin Italian mustache. And, uh, and he didn't know I was doing it. And I was, I was growing the mustache. You can't really see the mustache too well in the pictures, but uh, I was growing that for about a week. And then when I, I, I talked to them right before they launched and I had my hair, and I knew I was going to cut it and I cut it all off and shaved it as he was approaching. And then when they opened the hatch and he came floating in, I greeted him as his, as his twin. And we got a good laugh. <laughs> I, saw, about I, saw, it. I thought you were going to give yeah. some like, Oh, in space, you know, your hair gets in the way and there was some like scientific reason behind it. And it's just cause you were playing a joke. No, he was playing a joke. I was playing a joke and, and it, it is true. Like it's way more convenient to not have hair up there. It's just easier. Okay. Um, so, and, and I was going to be there for six months. So I knew it was going to grow back before I actually cared if I had hair. Well, is that, and I hear this a lot about people in the service and, and, you know, the army and whatnot that like the sense of humor, you know, people are playing jokes a lot and you need to, because there's so many hard things that you deal with. Is it similar with astronauts? Did you, have you found that astronauts typically have a pretty good sense of humor? Yeah. I think of going to, again, here's another analogy for you. Think of going to space, like going camping. If you're going camping with people that never smile, never laugh, never see the fun in any of it, they're not the people you want to go camping with. So, I mean, we're professional astronauts and, and we're there to keep the space station running, keep it safe, make smart decisions, not hurt anybody or anything. So we're, we're absolutely there to do that job, but you have to laugh. You have to have a sense of humor. You have to make funny jokes at dinner. Uh, just to kind of keep it all real. Okay, I have a quick question. SpaceX. What do you think? What do you think of space, SpaceX? Oh, I think it's amazing. Yeah, the the success of all the um, entities, Blue Origin. government and and civilian um, in space, is is all of our successes. So the success of those companies will allow NASA to focus its time and energy and resources on uh, going to to the moon again and ultimately onto Mars and um, I, I can't say enough good things uh, about about them. In fact, a commercial crew that just was with the space on the space station for a little over two weeks uh, undocked last yesterday, and will will return to Earth here tomorrow morning. Wow! Uh, so they're called, that's called Axiom 
three, the third Axiom mission, which was entire, entire, not a government mission. And they went to the space station for a visit. Wow. Okay. And then now this is just more general. What advice would you give to individuals facing challenges who are pursuing their dreams? Uh, you know, just do what you're passionate about because when you do that, you're having fun, but then you're also do it well. And, and, uh, when you do well, do things well, opportunities open up for you. Okay. Um, and when you're, when, and when you're having fun at the same time, it doesn't seem like work. What, uh, so whenever Jason travels, whenever he flies somewhere, he, he like sleeps for two days straight. Cause he's talking about, he's so jet lagged and all this. Do you get like jet lag when you get back to Earth? What's the physical feeling like stepping, you know, I guess off the the space shuttle when you're back on Earth after being up in space for a while? It it really doesn't. It's not because you're in space for a while. It's because we set Greenwich Mean Time, which is London time, basically on our watches on board the space station. So you're you're basically living in Europe on European time zone. And then you come back to Earth and now you're you ultimately get back to Houston. And so you've got that sleep adjustment and, and re-entry day is a long day. Uh, you, you, you're usually up for 18, 19, 20 hours wow. by the time it's all said and done. So you're just wiped out and you have that jet lag thing to get over. Why do you use that time uh, zone? But it, well, because we're talking to Houston, we're talking to Moscow, we're talking to Tokyo, we're talking to uh, Munich, which is the European Space Agency's control center. So we're talking to those people all around the world. So we, we, we need to pick one time zone to operate everything by. So the entire space station just runs off of uh, GMT, Greenwich Mean Time. Wow. They, say, they say that like the bodies of astronauts can get elongated in space. Like you, you grow a few inches taller. Have you like measured yourself? Have you yeah. tested that? Do you feel it physically? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that it, what happens is you, you grow in your spine, all the little gaps and I'm not a doctor, so I, I'm probably oversimplifying this, but all the little gaps in your vertebrae, without the force of gravity smushing them down, stacked to their normal, they all separate a little. So you grow about an inch and a half. Um, wow. That's a, from, so your, you were, from your hips to, to your You were a little bit closer to Larry Bird then when you were up in space. Yeah, my jump shot wasn't as good, but I was a little taller. Yeah. All right. All right. All right these are the last rapid-fire questions. What's the best piece of advice you ever received? Uh, if you think about quitting in SEAL training, don't do it unless you get to the chow hall. And that's, it needs an asterisk because who's going to quit in the dining hall when you've got food, you got hot coffee or nobody's yelling at you. Good to go. So then you don't quit. Oh, okay. Right, that's good. Yeah. All right. Um, what do you deal, what do you do if you ever feel stressed or discouraged or do you never feel stressed or discouraged? I do. I'm human and, uh, I like to ride on the Peloton or swim. Okay. Um, what was your most difficult challenge in life? Um, there was a time right before. So I was a SEAL platoon commander when, when 9-11 happened and we were deploying to Afghanistan and uh, very soon after 9-11. And there was a particular person that uh, I had been thinking about removing from the unit prior to 9-11. And then that happened and I had to tell him he wasn't coming with us. Uh, and that I, w- I had never had to do that before as a leader. And uh, it was a very, I, I lost a lot of sleep about so it. You had to tell someone that they weren't coming on the mission with you. Who was a fully qualified Navy SEAL, and, but he wasn't coming because he wasn't 
up to standards. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And what was, um, did you do missions all over the world, by the way? We never even got into that, but did you? Uh, when I, prior to 9-11, so I, I became a SEAL in 90, 1993. So was several, seven or eight years or whatever till 9-11 happened. And most of my deployments were in the Mediterranean uh, area, working with the French and Spanish and other units. Uh, and then at post 9-11, all of my time was in Afghanistan. Wow. Okay. Um, all right. Anything else in life you want to accomplish? Since you've, you've, you're, you're a SEAL uh, yeah, astronaut. I, I, want, yeah. I, I want to drive an RV around the country for several months. I like that. That sounds a little bit easier than becoming a Navy SEAL or astronaut. Yes, yes. And I know we so. Can, we can probably help, help make that happen. Yeah, I know, know so like Camping City. World. Oh, I know. I, and I know yeah, Camping World, but David Farman has an RV. I mean, this is like, yeah, you, that's this one's probably a little easier than the. Is it, by the way, when, you, when you're up in space, do you cut your cell phone bill like do you just like call them and say we're gonna, i'm gonna be in space for like six months <laughs> no i just i just paid it yeah <laughs> so, you know you, good question though i probably should have explored yeah, you should, that a little you bit you should have to pay taxes no, you know yeah, yeah. He, he's in space like he's not on the planet like i don't yeah, know that's a good point that's yeah. a good point what so, about how, how does the legal are there any lawyers that you know specialize in in space law yeah, there's things enough. that happen out there. Well, voting voting is always an interesting one, you know, because you're a citizen and you should be able to vote. And, and military people deployed can vote by proxy or mail-in ballots. And so so we can do that up there as well. But you know what the biggest challenge we found is? Uh, two-factor identification. Oh. Because a- anymore, you, you, you could do all your banking from while you're up there because we can get to the Internet. But now every thing like a bank account requires you to get the little code on your phone and that's where you're dead in the water. Oh yeah. Yep. All right. Well, what you... I was going to say one, uh, we have the two more rapid no, fire. I, I was it. That's it. Okay. Well, do you have any like super famous people in your phone? Like, are there any celebrities that are, are passionate about space travel that have reached out to you and, and said, good you know, qu- would, would love to talk that's to you. That's a good final question. Thank that's you. a good one. Uh, uh, Aaron. Uh... Uh, no, but I'm, I'm, uh, my favorite contact in my, in my phone is is the okay. oh look he's blocking the yeah, yeah. international oh my space God. station oh iss my. and he's, he's blocking the number yeah. so we can't we would prank call them and like you know i know I, you would call <laughs> yeah you would be all over that mr aaron asking all about the pranks You'd yeah all over that mr aaron Bree. that is a, um, that's the best contact that we've seen out anyone's phone yeah, I don't for, we've for seen sure. michael jordan we've seen steph curry you know all these but that's the best one that one wins that one wins all right chris cassidy i mean goes from Navy SEAL to astronaut to all around good guy. Um, you can watch him in a Disney uh, show. Maybe one day he'll write a book. I mean, at least for us parents trying to learn how to raise proper kids. I mean, I had no idea how hard it was to become an astronaut. I mean, I can get the numbers are so low every four years. Like, I think it's so hard to make the Olympics. Becoming an astronaut is way harder than being making. I mean, the to Olympics. me, gra- the, the graduating from MIT, I think that'd be the hardest for me. I'd have no shot. Well, becoming an astronaut <laughs> is, is is the yeah. So, well, anyways, Chris, thank you for coming on the Raz Report with Aaron and I today. We learned a lot. Like I, for my, I'm 45 years old. I've been some of these questions I asked about how it meets the space station. I've watched YouTube things, but no one ever explained it like he did. That football analogy, I'm going to use that now a hundred times over. Like literally, yeah. I'm going to. Thank. Yeah, I mean, that's it's great. great with analogies among other things obviously chris thank you again very much enjoy the rest of your week hopefully we'll chat soon yep thank you sounds good appreciate you thank you you for tuning in 
the episode with Chris Cassidy. If you want to see more awesome interviews, go to razreport.com.